the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Hall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista. I'm Ian Collins. This is episode 16 on our carbon-free journey through the issues that are dominating more headlines today than at any other time in our history. We don't know if the head honchos over there at Westminster and beyond take notice, but our fingers are heavily crossed on a constant basis. They could learn from this. If you're unaware of what we do, here's an explainer. This series is essentially about the views, campaigns and inner thoughts of Dale Vince, the entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company. He's also the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. And on each episode, we bring you the dominating issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change and i'm gonna to have to take us back dale if you're okay to the last episode because do you remember uh, that we got that email from somebody who described extinction rebellion in these words i'll, I'll just repeat what he said extinction rebellion are a trotskyite feckless cartel of soap dodging halfwits who are using green issues as a front for a wider agenda of dismantling the free world and capitalism in the name of creating a hippie commune of loot-playing weirdos where no one works, folks smoke funny herbs, and invariably end up marrying their cousins. You remember that? Yes, I do. I'm smiling. You can't see and that. It, <clears throat> well, we got another email from a guy called Josh who said... I'm a member of Extinction Rebellion. I have no loot and no cousins, although I did once go for a week without a shower while hiking in Peru. Um, I'm also a Tory. Does this confuse you, Dale? Me? No, it doesn't confuse me. No, absolutely not. I mean, Extinction Rebellion are, are a campaign that appeals to all kinds of people. So to try and pigeon them, hold them in the way that the uh, the first emailer did, I mean, I, I still think it was just uh, uh, amusing. It was intended to be humorous. <laughs> you can't pigeonhole, uh, in, in that respect, members or supporters of Extinction Rebellion. It, it crosses all mm -hmm. cultural and social boundaries. Yeah, I came, I was searching, when I saw that, I, I went online, had a little look across Twitter, and there's a... There's a big conservative kind of environment body, mostly young conservatives, who are clearly buying in to the, the very sort of arguments that we discuss on this program. So I know there's a stereotype there, but clearly there are some people who, um, I suppose, usurp or buck the stereotype. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the real power of Extinction Rebellion and the measure of their success, the extent to which... That, you know, they've become a very broad campaign embracing people from all walks of life. And, you know, you can't just dismiss them as left wing activists and stuff like that. Mm. That just doesn't wash. And, you know, the environment is an issue that cuts across everything. And I'm not surprised at all that young conservatives get it. Part of the reason for that will be not just the clear scientific evidence of the problem and, uh, and what's to come, but actually the business opportunity that is in building yeah, a green economy and actually yeah. tackling the climate change. We can do this in a business-like fashion. Yeah, abso absolutely. There's the, that, that's absolutely within the Venn diagram. And maybe the bit that sometimes uh, gets missed, which is why podcasts such as this are great, because we explain and we chew the fat on, on, on this kind of stuff. Uh, before we get into some obvious environmental elements of the agenda uh, dale we'd be 
Uh, we'd be failing if we didn't just get your comment on this man. I don't regret um, what, what I did. As I, as I said, I think um, you know, reasonable people may well disagree about how I thought about what to do in, 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 the, in, the, in these circumstances, but I think that I think that what I did was actually reasonable in these um, in these circumstances. And that news of Dominic Cummings is not going away, Dale. What did you make of this? Uh, I watched his Rose Garden uh, broadcast live, and and I was gobsmacked. I mean, for six weeks, the government have tried to shut the story down and just not answer questions, and then he was forced. Uh, to you know, to give that uh, that one-hour press conference in the Rose Garden of Number Ten, which was unprecedented, and yeah, the convoluted explanation for why he had to leave home. I mean, the the fact that as soon as he discovered his wife had symptoms, he went to work in Number Ten. First thing he did, took the virus into Number Ten. Yeah, went back to Number Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Second thing he did was jump in a car with an infected person and his four-year-old kid and spend five hours in proximity in a car. And then obviously there was that crazy trip to uh, Barnard Castle to test his eyesight before driving back to London because he was no, 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 you can't, you can't, Dale, you can't, you can't say that. This was a man who had eye issues. Come on, I mean, the guy needed well, to make sure that he was safe to did. drive. And there's one and great that, way to that, find out if you're not blind, and that's drive a car. Obviously, no, that's right. I mean, the whole thing was just <laughs> mental, and and I think he was digging a hole for himself for sure. But when he said it was to test his eyes, I think uh, he. You know, he killed himself uh, because nobody was buying that. It was the most disgraceful lie, a barefaced lie that, that he's trying to perpetrate uh, on, on, you know, sensible people that are just not having it. And this morning I saw that the total number of Conservative MPs now calling him to, for him to go is 99. That's up from like 60 yesterday. Yeah. And Boris Johnson keeps saying, we're going to draw a line under it and move on. But that ain't happening. It's not happening. And I, I mean, I use the word that I, I said when talking about this on the radio, I said, this man is lying. You know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that he got royally confused on the first part of the story, forgot the rules, panicked about his kid, jumped in a car, went to Durham. Okay, fine. Not fine, but fine. But the second part of the story, I mean, that is clearly a, a breach. I think the police have acknowledged it as a breach now. And the I thing, I mean, I... I Somebody tried to counter this by saying, look, he'd had three days to come up with an excuse. He could have come up with a better excuse. So the fact that he had such a bad excuse is meant to lead us to believe that that is genuine because nobody would come up with that excuse if they were trying to <laughs> pull the wool over your eyes. So it's a kind of double bluff, bluff, reverse bluff ferret. But he spent four or five hours the day before explaining himself to Johnson. He was half an hour late for the press conference itself to arrive with that half-assed excuse for the Barnard Castle trip, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's a measure of, I think, the, uh, the the disrespect or the contempt with which they hold the public um, and and their own self-belief that, you know, everything, they can shrug everything off, bit, a bit Trump-like, you know, it doesn't really matter because people will forget and there's four years to the next election, so, uh, you know, we'll just move on. It'll we'll all just be keep done by the mantra. Let's move on. You know, but you know, he didn't even look for childcare in London. He admitted that. So it's not good enough to say I could only get childcare in London. Johnson said he needed a particular kind of childcare. That turned out to be BS because he didn't. He just needed childcare, and he didn't ask friends or family in London at all. He just uh, wanted to go to Durham. That was but it. he didn't go to the castle, Dale. Let's cut the man some slack. He didn't go turret watching. No, he went to a river and then on the way back stopped in some woods. Yeah.
He went to. So, it's interesting because he said we went to the river for fifteen minutes, and while they were there, a bloke said hello or something, and they said Happy yeah. Easter. I think that's why they got back in the car because they got spotted. Seen, yeah, probably. Thought, hang on a now, sec, whole, this isn't good. Is shocking. The worst part about it, of course, is that we're we're on the verge of easing the lockdown. Uh, the government needs to be trusted and believed, and we all need to feel that we're all in this together. That there's one set of rules for all of us, and they have completely undermined all of that. Let's go to uh, this story. The coronavirus, not good for nature. Um, I was reading this story earlier this week. What are you making this? Uh, nature has been, has to hit the reset button, essentially. I read that piece and, and I was waiting for the stats and they didn't come. Uh, it just looked like uh, a series of uh, anecdotes. You know, gorillas are susceptible to the virus and there's only 900 left. Okay, I get that. Um, that was one example. Wildlife tourism is down, so there's less money um, in um, in wildlife protection, and uh, poaching is up. I get that, but that doesn't mean that overall nature is taking a hit from the virus. And there was no there was no numbers, no stats, no data in there to to back up that claim. So uh, I'm not buying it. Not buying into that. Here's a question. Uh, this comes in from Simon on Twitter. Got any plans to build anything like your Nemesis car? Uh, you might have to explain the question as well first. Okay, great question, actually. Timely. We set out to build the Nemesis in 2008. Um, I wanted a greener kind of car, a bit of a petrol head, uh, self-admitted at the time, but tree hugger at the same time. Uh, Looked for an electric car, couldn't buy one anywhere in the world, so we decided to make one. Uh, So from scratch, we designed the car we eventually called the Nemesis. It was a supercar, Britain's first electric supercar. Got it on the road in 2010. It led us to building the electric highway to try and kickstart this electric vehicle revolution. Along the way, we did research into the feasibility of everybody having an electric car. Um, We were looking post-oil, you know, how are we going to travel? And, um, you know, we we researched, is there enough lithium in the world? For example, there is. Can the grid cope with 30 million cars on the road that are electric in Britain? And it can, and that kind of stuff. So we, we put our weight behind the electrification of transport in around about 2010. And right now, We're looking at uh, making an electric bike called the Iron Horse, I-O-N as in lithium iron. And it's an idea that we had yonks ago, around about 2011 probably, but we dropped it because the big bike manufacturers looked like they were coming this way. It was the same reason we stopped being involved in making cars because um, in 2010, everybody was talking about it. Nissan produced a leaf and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but but nobody's really doing it yet. There aren't any great electric bikes out there. And I'm a I'm a biker kind of uh, in my DNA probably. And uh, I've got a KTM electric bike at the moment, which is a great bike. It's great fun. But it's um yeah it's not good enough. So uh, we've just been working with the designer of the Nemesis, Peter Stevens. Uh, he sent me the latest images yesterday for the Iron Horse. We've got some pretty innovative ideas. And um, yeah, I hope that we can actually make the first one in uh, in maybe the next 12 months. I was reading about Dyson and his um, endeavours with the electric car. And I, I can't recall the full facts of it, but it was just the sheer enormity of cost that was involved. And somehow he just couldn't make the numbers work. And it got to... It looked like a fair from the outside, like they got a fair way down the line, um, but but just decided to to pull it at some point in the process. I mean, is is it that tricky? I mean, one has to reasonably assume it's not a cheap process. Uh, yeah, but is tricky. it that fine? Is it that tightrope sort of base? I don't think it's tricky at all, especially now. The technology has uh, moved on so far, and you know it's widely available. You know, 
you don't have to make your own motors or your own batteries and stuff like that, although it's probably cheaper if you do. Yeah. Um, it's the sheer cost of it. And you've got to ask yourself as well whether that actually makes any sense to do that. This is what we did in 2010. We made the first car, uh, put it on the road. We were talking about transport post oil, and we could see that infrastructure for charging was missing. So we put our weight into that because we could see these big car manufacturers were actually seriously moving into electric vehicles, and they are... I would say best place to do it. Uh, You know, they know how to develop new vehicles from scratch. They've got the factories, the workforce, the R&D. They've got all of that stuff. And actually, they've got a vested interest in making it work. Never more true than today when you can see governments around the world are planning the end of the internal combustion engine. And these guys, to survive, have to electrify. That's happening. They're spending billions on R&D and stuff. And if you look at Tesla, probably the... The only real um, non-car company making an electric car, but they're massively loss-making. Will they ever come to profit? I don't know. You know, there's a lot of kind of halo around them for innovation and stuff. And some of what they've done is in- innovative and some of it's not. You know, I find them quite rapacious in my own experience of dealing with them. But I don't think actually we need a company like Tesla to make electric cars because the real car makers, the BMWs, the Aldis, the Porsches, the even the Fords, the Volkswagens, you know, they are making great cars. So, yeah. I mean, this is happening. True. And uh, I'm not sure why I'm saying all of this actually now. But, uh, that's, <laughs> well, that's where I got to. It was uh, no, it's it's good. It, it, it's a, a a stream of consciousness um, uh, based on that question about uh, your own endeavours there. And there's also this headline as well: um, EU pledges coronavirus recovery plan will not harm climate goals. Now, uh, this story it appeared in the Guardian, but it's been elsewhere because there has been some concern that as everybody is, you know, attempting to bundle cash into the pot to get businesses and countries back on their feet that somewhere along the line climate might go by the wayside. Is that a concern you share? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we we do have the opportunity to come out the back end of this virus crisis and build a new economy and to live a different way. We've said this repeatedly, I think, on this podcast, um, and, and it's not a given. We're going to have to fight for it. But, I, I, you know, I love what the EU are doing, that the mantra at the heart of their plans is do no harm that the funding that they're talking about, its uh, its guiding principle will be to do no harm, which is fantastic. And they're big sums of money. They're well focused on transport, on energy, and actually on what they call a just transition from the fossil fuel economy for countries like Poland and Germany uh, into renewables. Because it is important. You know, we can't do what Thatcher did in the 80s and just shut down the coal mines and abandon whole communities and countries in this case. Um, you know, we've got to create a pathway a transition to the green economy for them as well as for everybody else here's a question from amy on facebook you always seem rather busy dale how do you relax it's a nice question (laughs) it's a bit nosy but it's quite nice no i think it's fair uh i think i get anxious when i'm not yeah i got up at six o'clock this morning it was the first time in a long time that i just felt the urge to get out of bed that early and get on and do stuff you know i feel I feel most comfortable when things are happening and I'm and I'm making things happen. But you know, otherwise I go for walks on the common. I go for mountain bikes sometimes. Uh, I used to play football when when that was allowed. Uh, that was actually the highlight of my week uh, because I get to completely switch off, uh, immerse myself in in the game for an hour or two, and mm. um, and that you know, there's nothing more restful actually than just. Uh, completely changing what it is you're thinking about or doing you know the the old adage of a break being as good as a rest or whatever yeah, it is, you know is, is very true 
Uh, this is an interesting one, Dale. Renewable power outperforming fossil fuels in the US and European markets, according to a new business report. Yeah, this is essentially a stock market story. And uh, what they're saying is that listed renewable energy companies, uh, generators, are outperforming listed fossil fuel companies in terms of uh, the profits that they're making. So it's a purely uh, commercial financial story that says basically renewable energy is outperforming fossil fuel as an investment. And in terms... news. Yeah, I was going to say. So so people, in, in layman's terms, looking to put some money into something, are deciding that fossil fuels really is an area of the past, going by that measure. That's not about rising share price, that's about return. So uh, what that's actually saying is that renewable energy is, is outperforming fossil fuels um, as a business, and that will attract more people to of course, invest in yeah. it, for sure. But uh, it's actually the returns that it makes, not the uh, not the rising share price due to uh, you know added interest. Good and work. I think you know fossil, the end of fossil fuels is coming. We, we all know that, and a lot of the big investment funds around the world you know, have identified that and, uh, and, and are pulling out. And uh, it, it can't happen soon enough, as far as I'm concerned, because um, one of the big keys to fighting the climate crisis is to simply replace fossil fuel with renewable energy. It's a very simple thing to do, simple to say, and it's not that complicated to do. Um, and, it, you know, it holds one of the big three keys to solving the climate crisis. Final question from Carol on Twitter. Will your EcoTalk service go 5G? I think it's bad for the planet, says Carol. I think she's talking about 5G rather than your EcoTalk service. I think she is, yeah. And I think we... Tell us what it is first, huh? Well, yeah, EcoTalk is a, a mobile phone service we created a few years ago. It's SIM only, so we don't sell hardware. And it's uh, carbon neutral. We power the whole thing from renewable energy. And we... We use our bills into mills concept, which we have at Ecotricity, where we harness energy bills and we use it to build windmills and sunmills. And for Ecotalk, we harness people's mobile phone bills and we use it to buy land to give back to nature. We kind of adapted the bills into mills for Ecotalk and call it bills into hills because hills are quite suitable pieces of land. Uh, but that's just for fun. Uh, so it's it's a serious attempt to tackle the fourth pillar of our work. We've got energy, transport and food where we need to make these big transformations and we need to make room for nature. It does actually come as a consequence of tackling the first three. But we're trying to do some front foot stuff about that uh, using a phone service. Will we do 5G? Honestly, I don't know. I think it's very early days. Uh, I was talking about this online recently. It wasn't on this podcast, but somewhere else. I have looked into 5G because we've had, uh, you know, number of uh, number of requests, number of questions about it, and I can't find any evidence anywhere that 5G is any worse than 4G, 3G, or 2G. Mm. I don't have a mobile phone myself because. I'm not a fan of holding something close to my head with those uh, microwave or uh, radiation uh, emissions. And, and, you know, I feel when I occasionally have to take a call to the press or something on a mobile phone, I feel the heat in my ear uh, and that area of my head. And, and, you know, I'm just not a fan of mobile phones. But the um, the angst and, and and the fear around 5G I don't get. It's a weaker signal. Uh, clearly, because there has to be many more repeaters in order to carry the signal. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's on a different part of the spectrum. I've seen no evidence that says it's dangerous, let alone something that's going to end the world. Because you know some of the stuff you read is, is that it's going to wipe out wildlife, and and actually there are conspiracy theories that it's all about controlling humans. And yeah, you need to get over to the David Ike website, uh, Dale. Have a little look at that. That'll that'll finish off your education for an evening. <laughs> 
so I'm agnostic, I think it's fair to uh, say, about 5G or 4G or 3G. I, uh, you know, I'm waiting for the, uh, I think the evidence, the day will come when we look back on mobile phones and say, you know what, we were actually doing ourselves harm with these, these devices. Interesting. Uh, before we go, this man. Steve, go ahead. There's a debate over what authority you have to order the country reopened. Uh, what authority do you well, have? Well, I have the ultimate authority. The President of the United States has the authority to do what the President has the authority to do, which is very powerful. The President of the United States calls the shots. But who told you the President has the total authority? Enough. Just, just to clarify your understanding of your authority vis-a-vis -vis governors, uh, just to be very specific. For instance, if a governor issued a state home when you say my authority, the president's authority, not mine, because it's not me. This is when somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. Uh, so he says he has supreme authority, but clearly not over there at, uh, at Twitter HQ because he, he's fallen out with the blue tick boys, it seems, Dale. Yeah, he's a funny man, isn't he? Because he has a number of times talked about the relatively kind of unfettered power that he has only to bump into reality. And he's issued a <laughs> law uh, today, I think, or an executive order that, that aims to uh, uh, cause problems for people like Twitter. But he doesn't have the power to make that law. That's Congress's no. power. So he's bumping into reality again. But I actually, I think he just wants to have a fight. He just wants to paint himself as a victim of uh, suppression of free speech. It's ironic because if he's successful in what he's trying to do to Twitter, they will have to control what he says more not less. Uh, yeah. So, you know, his complaint is that they put a link in to some facts. That's all they did. They didn't say he was lying. They didn't change anything. No, they said if you want said, more info on this, essentially, just check info. check this out. And he got no, that's very a public upset. service. Yeah, sorry, yeah. that's a public service, isn't it? So it, this is a fake argument, actually, I, I think, uh, from, from Trump. And maybe this is a new frontier for him. You know, he's, he's done fake news to death. Maybe True. he's going to create fake arguments now, fake battles. Um, <laughs> this isn't a real battle against Twitter. Because some, somebody said here to me uh, yesterday that Donald Trump is threatening to choke Twitter. And, and my off-the-cuff reaction was, that's like somebody threatening to strangle their own dick. Um, and I don't know if we can use that on the podcast, but of course just, you can. I mean, that's just how it looks. You know, I mean, this man uses Twitter. Well, yes, it, the whole Twitter. purpose of Trump is that he doesn't trust the mainstream media. So his default place is Twitter. And now he's picked an argument with the very place that has uh, most profile for his arguments and policies. So it, it's a. It's an extraordinary response from him. Um, you couldn't make it up, but that guy keeps managing to make it up. Indeed. Uh, Dale will speak on the next episode. Thanks, Ian. That's it for this one. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider so you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. Really importantly, do make sure you follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. And we'll see you on the next episode. Zero. Carbon. East off.